On this episode, we talk Snapchat Discover, disrespect in meetings, and how to convert on your website. Gary Vay, Nerd Chuck, and this is episode 170 of the Ask Gary V Show. I am fired up this Monday morning because my New York Jets defeated many other people's New York Giants. Uh, I was at the game, I was super pumped, uh, and we, we stole it late, uh, which is always a nice feeling. I was already settling into a devastating week of anger and upsetness. And instead, it was flipped, as only sports can do at the last second. Uh, and I was very happy. India, did you kind of pay attention to what was going on? Were yes, you? I did. I don't have a TV, but I had the score up on Google, and I was refreshing like every five minutes. And even said a Snapchat thing like, "When you don't have TV, <laughs> like, be refreshing Google." Like, do you rock? You were watching because you were obviously we're shooting the Daily V today, yeah. and you wanted to see what kind of the tone. Stefan, did you give a crap? I did. You did. I did. And you watched or? No, I, wa- I watched and I saw the highlights. Nice, nice. So I'm in a good mood. We also continue the new concept of having a Vayner medium. Did you dress up for this? No, I have a holiday party. Respect. <laughs> Why don't you tell the uh, Vayner Nation who you are, how long you've been here, a little so, bit about yourself, man. Yeah, so my name is Matt. I'm associate account executive. Uh, I've been here for just under two years. Two years next month. Flies. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Going well? Yeah. Where are you from? What else? Oh, what are you into gosh. besides um, crushing a Vayner? So I'm definitely a, like my Boston teams. That's okay. <laughs> I respect you. You respect me. I don't respect you, but let's keep moving. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Fine. Go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, so working on a whole bunch of teams. Got some PepsiCo life going on. Crazy how's uh, how's uh, New York life? Good. Loving Enjoy it. it. Loving it. Good. Everything's good, good here? Yeah. Amen. Oh, Love having you here, man. Thanks. Um, India? Yay. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, think we've been outside. I mean, yeah. it's been a while since we've been in our kind of like our, our home field to do our show. I think we should start the show. Okay, well, let's get into the show. show. Go with me here. Uh, <laughs> it's been so long. So long. We're so out of tune. All right, let's get focused. Um, from Maria. Maria. Oh, by the way, before we get into the show, uh, I want to thank everybody, the enormous amount of feedback for Daily V 001 was tremendous. Uh, DRock, we enjoy that, right? We, we like gathering feedback and we're taping 002 right now, filming 002, and I feel like, uh, I feel like we got some tricks up our sleeve, DRock. Um, and so I'm excited to see it. When do you think we'll be out? Tomorrow? Awesome, can't wait. All right, India, let's do this. Mariah asks Do you think too many brands are on Snapchat Discover? Does each added brand decrease the value for others? I think I think each added brand does decrease value for the others because it's simple supply and demand. When you go there, and there, I mean, when there was 18 apps on day one, or 800, or 53, or whatever it was on day one of the app store, uh, you know that was good for those apps. They had more attention. When there was three channels on TV back in the day, that was good for those channels. When it was 13 for quite a while, it was good for those channels. And then you had cable, and they were 36 for a good while, and that was good for those channels. And then we got into Directv and a thousand 
and then we got the internet. Of course, everything is important for supply and demand when you've got a bigger percentage of the attention. Now, so it's not as good for the apps or the media companies behind them, but it's better for, potentially better for the user and Snapchat. And that's why it's happening, right? If you go on Snapchat Discover back in the day and there's all these brands and you don't give a rat's ass of any of them, well it's not as valuable to you. But as it starts bringing kind of new things to the equation, new subcultures, niches, things that you're into, you'll be excited. And so, you know, I think that, um, I think for Snapchat and for users, as long as the channels continue to expand and bring value to people, it's like the internet. The internet's better than cable television because it gives more people more options of consuming what they want. Then one will counter argue that, well then there's just a bunch more crap. There was plenty of crap when there was 13 channels. There was crappy, cha- Snapchat had what, like eight or nine, six channels when they launched? Did you love all of them? Nope. Did, did you? No, I mean, so like this notion that limitations curate better stuff is a very arrogant POV from the people that have vested interest in staying small because they're getting more value. I like the capitalism and and the real meritocracy. That's why I love the internet. I love that you watch or listen to this show because you really like or I'm bringing you value because there's a shitload of options. It's not because it's 1957 and I'm one of the three anchor men uh, that evening, you know, when there's like a couple of other options. I love the supply and demand of the internet, of the open web, of the maturity of where we are, and so I like that for the end consumer. I like that everybody that's watching and listening right now has unlimited options, um, and they can find what brings them value, and so um, uh, to answer the question directly, yet yeah, it's not as good for the media properties, but that doesn't matter because Snapchat's job is to make it better for their users and for themselves. DJ Chapman asks, my podcast website gets a lot of page views, but they're not translating into listens. What can I do to help conversion? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things you could be doing, DJ. One, you'd need to be thinking about how you get them in there, and two, you need to think about what happens when they get there. A la, let's go old school. Let's make pretend that your pods are, uh, are a restaurant. Um, okay, you open a restaurant, and you have thousands of people coming to your restaurant, but they're not ordering food, they're just sitting there and they're not bringing you any value. There's a couple things to debate. One, did you bring the right people there? If your marketing was, come to this restaurant, something amazing is gonna happen that you've never seen before, we can't tell you, it's a big surprise, you might win a million dollars. They all start showing up, they weren't there to eat your burger. They weren't there to eat your fries. They weren't there to eat your salad. They weren't there to drink a cup of coffee. They were there because you made a promise that when you got into the restaurant, I'm treating your place as a diner, by the way, in my brain. Uh, You know, you didn't deliver that. They're like, cool, pickles and coleslaw, but I came because I I thought that we were gonna get a million dollars. There's that, or there's another thing. They came, and when they got there, they they walked into the restaurant, and there's nobody in the front to guide them to their seat, there's no maitre d' or uh, welcome person. They walked in and it's like an empty warehouse with weird signs and they're just confused to where to go sit and where to go eat. I'm painting you a picture because there's two fundamental things that happen when you have this problem. This is for all of you. Either you didn't make the right promise to get them there and when they got there they were disappointed or not interested or it was the wrong reason the only thing you were trying to make happen was get everybody there. You didn't think about the part that mattered which was get them to order food or when they got there because they wanted to be there, they didn't understand how to execute on the transaction. So that means your marketing stinks and you're not telling a proper story of getting them in or your UI and UX or promise or landing page optimization or directions to do once they're there or there is an issue. It makes me think about how is it optimized for mobile. 
Maybe, maybe mobile's bad. It also makes me think, and this is more of the common problem, that the marketing that you're doing, or the PR, or whatever you're doing to get people there, it's predicated on getting them there, not to do the action that you want. Or number three, they're getting a very quick sample, um, and they're hearing or seeing you somewhere else, and they just don't like you. Like there's always number three, which is you go to the restaurant, you sat down, you knew it was gonna be a burger joint, you got there, there was somebody that sat you down, you ordered a burger, you ate the burger, and you're like, eh. Not that good of a burger, India. Like just fine, or more likely for so many people that are watching here, like good burger, but I'm not gonna go 15 blocks, I got a burger over here next to me. And so, you know, like there's a burger one block away, you know, which, you're not a burger. You know, but, but, you know, but like, you know, there's a burger here and I, I don't wanna go there. And so that's another thing, that the friction, convenience is such king, right? They may have somebody else's app already downloaded or they already have two other podcasts downloaded and they just don't want to down, they don't even want to take the second to download another one. They, they, as a person, back to contradiction of the first question, not contradiction, different look at it, is they don't want more supply of content. So like, yeah, I already got Gary Vee and I've already got James Alshur or I've already got Ferris or I've already got you know, School Greatness or I already, like, I don't need another one that's the same. So you're not differentiating. That was a real business lesson. That was a really good question to answer. I really hope people watch that thrice. Cool, cool is right. Cool. From Brittany. Are you Spears? Yeah, Brittany Spears. Okay. Gonna, I'm gonna start letting you pretend it's famous people. Okay, good. <laughs> Brittany asks, how do you personally take charge in a meeting when you feel others are being disrespectful? I guess Brittany's asking for herself and for everybody who's listening, for me, I mean, I just get involved. I mean, first of all, I mean, 99% of the time, the context of the meeting, I have the leverage. Either I, it's my meeting and or, you know, I have a lot of authority or street cred to open my mouth. Is the, one more time, how do you take charge when you think somebody else is being disrespected? Do you feel others are being disrespectful? Maybe it's uncomfortable. Yeah, no, I see this all the time and I see people struggling with it, especially if they're in middle management or the new kid on the block or an intern, but they have the EQ or the empathy and they're like, oh, this is unfortunate. And, you know, I, I would say that, you know, there's only two ways to live life. To, uh, to tactfully address things or to eat it and have regrets that you didn't address it. Uh, what's the name again? Brittany. Brittany, you know, I think that you have choices here. Look, you, you know, if I was in a meeting with this crew and I was being disrespectful to Stefan and India felt like she wanted to say something, what's running through her mind is if I call Gary out here, you know, and first of all, she has a lot of context on me, so she's probably thinking, oh crap, Stefan's doing something wrong that I don't know about because Gary's usually right. But let's say I was tone deaf and I didn't have equity with her and it was her first week. You know, she's thinking that if she calls me out and says, Gary, why are you doing, you're being rude. She's thinking, oh crap, that could get me fired. And then like, what does it mean to me? Like, like people are doing practical versus, there's always the pressure of doing the right thing versus the practical thing. And then you're always questioning, are you good enough to know what the right thing is? You know, there's all that stuff. You know, I don't know, I have had a very successful life, forget about career, on being comfortable of addressing things in real time in the room if it needs to. My level of thinking of disrespect is quite high because I like combativeness and competitiveness and, uh, and I've also always had leverage. I work for myself. So my advice to myself or like how I think about the world is very different than the advice I'd give to a lot of people. I, I think you go with the one strike policy. India should grab me or send me an email after that meeting and say, hey, I felt a hair uncomfortable with the way that you were treating Stefan in that meeting. 
Can we either talk about it? She grabbed me in person. She could send an email. I like in person because no context is lost. Because if I got that email from India, I'm like, I'm like that's a little prima donna for a youngster. Like she doesn't know all the details. But if she told it to me, I'd be able to feel the energy. That's one lesson I'd like a lot of you to learn. Sending a text or sending an email where there's it's an important moment, you're losing so much context. The energy, especially if you go to an EQ person, the energy is so powerful when you can create the context. So I highly recommend that. But I would probably go with a communication that wasn't confrontational in the room with that manager or that boss the first time, behind the scenes, lightweight, treading water, and then A, seeing how they respond, because I would respond, and we've been there and done that, India, I would respond favorably, which would make you more comfortable and safe to talk to me again. Others would be like, shut your mouth. And that would make you not as much comfort. And then I would address it in the room the second time. If I said, shut your mouth to India, and then she did it again the second time, a couple things would happen. She'd feel like she was getting that off her chest. More importantly, I'd be like, damn, she really does care about this. Um, you know, it's just life. Like, doing the right thing is always the right thing. You just gotta make sure you're doing the right thing. Way too many people romantically wanna fight against the system, fight against the boss, fight against the company, and I've had people in this organization that have barked up the wrong tree because they've worked in other places where the person doesn't give a crap and doesn't turn every stone and doesn't have a ton of context. Um, That is something you need to be careful of. Do not walk into a buzzsaw because you do have a manager or a boss that actually knows what they're talking about. Now, if you're great at EQ and the tone and the taste, roll, let it roll. But this is not a very simple question. There's a lot of angles, as you could see, in two quick seconds that I've given you here. It's a lot of context building. Who are you standing up for? I mean, the amount of times that people here have stood up for somebody who's straight losing, like doing the wrong thing, but they're homies. Out of, I mean, Matt, you know, let's talk to you because they hear it from this. Look, okay. we, we have a tremendous culture here where, sure. where I, I, obviously I'd like to say that, but how many friends do you have in this company? Like people that you actually hang out with outside of work? A solid amount. Give me a number. Uh, 15 to 20. Great. So first of all, Everybody who at Vayner's watching this is now wondering, wait a minute, my number 21 and what the hell? Oh, I, thought, sorry, I thought we were friends. <laughs> 15 to 20, I think anybody who's watching, we would all recognize, that's a big number. Yep. There's a lot of people watching here who don't have a single friend. That's everybody just, if you, what, not if, when your friend, one of those 15 to 20, complains yep. about Vayner, yep. it's impossible for you not to take their side, they're your friend. Exactly. I mean, that's an impossible game. Absolutely. And I assume, I'm asking you now, you know, it's, even though you like me and think I'm a good guy and it's a good company, good culture, it's so much easier to, be, to have Janet's back than the company's. Sure. That, right there, is the issue at hand, right? You might be standing up for somebody. You might, have you ever wanted to stand up for somebody? Yeah. Have you? Sometimes yes and sometimes no. Right, and so it's just tough because you don't know every, I mean, I know a lot of the friend pods in this company. I, I knew to ask that question because I knew it was a good outcome because I, I know what's going on here, right? E- even people that are a little quiet or, or what have you, like are finding friends, I mean, it's amazing, right? We got a good thing going. The, the danger of that is blind support to your homies versus what's going on in the office. There are people here who are the greatest human, I literally want to adopt them. I literally want to adopt them. Hey, come in my family, I love you that much. Who are? Average workers. That's just real life shit. To think if I was their homie, outside of work, and had all the feelings of the the humanity that is them, which is remarkable. I want to adopt them. And to think about them complaining or struggling, why didn't I get promoted, my boss is not taking care of me, this and that and the other thing. It's impossible for the other 550 people here intermingled with each other not to support that person. They're the best. 
But I have the optics of another thing, which is the black and white. Not the warm and fuzzy, the do you have the skill? I'm the greatest guy of all time. I don't think LeBron wants me on his basketball team. I do not have the raw skills to provide him value for what he's trying to achieve. I'm the best. And if he wants to do business, I'll make him more money than he can even realize, even more than he makes, which is more than he can realize. And that's the game. And so that's the other part of the equation. You gonna step up for the greatest person of all time? Cool. You just might get caught because they're actually below average or not doing a good job or they may actually act differently. I mean, this is happening here too. There are people that outside of these four walls I want to adopt but when you watch them, how they act within a work environment, they're just okay. A lot of sweeties and then a little snarky or manipulative and political in the building. That's just real life. So know who you're standing up for. Interesting shit. Yeah, it got very deep. You know, that's something we can all learn from. I've learned that lesson. Like, I know this guy, he's the greatest. I'm like, wait a minute, he sucks in the store? Like, I saw it with my own friends that work for me. So, anyway. It is intense. It's intense because it's so, this is where judging where you work or who you work for is the key. Like, you know, and understanding what they're good and bad at. Meaning, you could have a great manager top, top manager, and they might be strong at X, but they might be bad at Y, and if they're bad at Y, you need to, be, you need to context that. There's no blanket statement even on the person. But I have a lot of points of view on your strengths and weaknesses from a lot of different people. Way more than you'd ever think. Oh, sure. <laughs> In a good way, meaning like, it's just like, it's, it's why we're so calculated here of what we do, because we don't take the main boss's point of view on somebody. It's 360. It's contemporaries, it's friends outside of work, it's people that never heard of them, it's people that work for you. You can't just be like, oh, the boss, if you let that, they'll just manipulate what's in their best interest. Because they're just human, it's not their fault. But I think that's what makes our place tick because people have seen very senior people not win the battle against very junior people and then that's like, whoa. And that's cool. So, I don't know how I got on that tangent, I know how. It's, if you want to step up for somebody in the room, you better know all the scores. The conversation, the skills, all the people involved, all of it. Did she comment on that? Hey I saw Gary, somebody... Sam Attard here from Sam. Happy Healthy Human. I'm curious, what's the psychology behind why people are on Periscope? I saw your interview with Marie Forleo recently where you talked about the psychology of why people are on Pinterest and Twitter. So why Periscope? Oh, great question. Thanks, hon. Oh, thanks, hon. You're welcome, Samantha. I like the hon. <laughs> uh, uh, I think the psychology on that is, I think, you know, it's live TV, right? And there's some people that are good at QVC or, or Saturday Night Live. I always got a lot of kick out of like, as I started meeting famous people, uh, I, I heard an ongoing conversation of the actors and actresses that would not do Curb Your Enthusiasm because it was not structured enough. They were scared of the improv nature or SNL. And of course you know that spoke to me because I think I can crush those things but if, you, if there was cue cards right now, I can't read or spell or I'd be like, and today on the Ask Gary V show, like you know, I'd be weird. Uh, so I'm always fascinated by people's strengths and weaknesses. I think Periscope is great for people that can improv, just roll, keep interesting, and I think people want to, you know, want to project themselves. I think everybody's fascinated with television and, and getting out there. And so, if you're doing Periscope, you're somebody who doesn't fully take themselves seriously, and/or you're very confident in your improv and your truths. The reason I'm super into doing Daily V and things of that nature is I'm not scared how it's gonna be edited. The only, the only reason I'm even involved in editing is sensitive information of like clients and stuff of that nature, but like clearly, like the bald spot thing, like, like I'll talk about anything. Like I'm willing to go, like it's so crazy. I think if I lose another 15 pounds and gain a couple more muscles, like I'm getting close to just living life naked. 
Don't do that, okay. <laughs> Terrible reaction. But like, that's like where I'm willing, like, like it's, cr- you have to understand, let's use naked as a metaphor. Yes, I'll probably not walk around naked though. It's crossed my mind. Um, living life pretty naked, and by the way, I'm not naive. Like, we've all got skeletons. There's plenty of things that I don't share. You guys all know I don't share my family. Like, there's a lot. But boy, I like pushing myself further and further because it is literally the last battle of Eight Mile. When you take ownership of all your flaws and weaknesses, you've won. And uh, I actually think that's the nirvana of the connected world. Yes, privacy is getting pushed on. Yes, there'll be negatives. But boy, there's a lot of positives with us all putting our laundry to each other. We get accepted. It's no different than high school to college. The difference, guys, this is so basic. The difference between high school and college and why everybody likes, not everybody, but a lot of people like college more is you've matured into a place where you can own your shit more. You're sensitive to your zits and your weird thing. There's a lot of weird shit that happens between 14 and 18. We change a lot. And like we're not ready to calibrate that. And it takes very far and few between people that can own it all the way. We're insecure. Our security is much stronger in our 20s than it is in our teens. And that's why we like it better. Adam asks, I feel like I've lost my hustle. Help, what do I do? Adam, anybody who's losing their hustle has a lot of variables, and there's a lot of variables in this episode. This is the variable episodes where there's a lot of context points. It's not just direct answers today. Um, there's, listen, you might, have, you might not be passionate about your North Star anymore. I, I've been going through something. Let me actually break some shattering news here. For the first time in my life, I've been thinking about weird things like sabbaticals and building a business school in Haiti for five years and like, like I love, uh, listen, I'm still all about buying the New York Jets and it's the process of that and the game but it's amazing for me to be in tune with myself. The maturity, like as you get older, like just like my kids are six and three and they're interesting. Like it's, in, they're interesting and like you start, you know, I start projecting what do they look like at 13 and 15? Like it'd be really cool to like, I don't believe in the school system as much as everybody. Like do I just take them and go do something rogue? Like just different things. Like you just evolve and, um, and you might have just lost your North Star. The thing that you thought you were going for might not be. It's why I was always happy that I didn't want a million bucks or I didn't want fame or I didn't want a car or a private plane or these little things. Like it was fun to be like, I want to buy the Jets and what that always meant to me is I want the process of buying the Jets which means I get to hustle forever because that's, that's who I am. Um, maybe you've lost who you are or what you want or maybe you've accomplished kind of or maybe you feel it's achievable. I would cr- be crushed if I thought what I wanted to achieve was super achievable. I mean it happened to me in the wine business. It's happening at Vayner. Like as Vayner's becoming a player in the agency world and we're not like, uh, now we're like, oh. Like, and soon we're gonna be like, oh. Like, you know, like, like, that's not as fun for me. I like being the underdog. I like the climb, you know? I like that. Uh, so maybe that's happened. Uh, maybe you're just tired. I mean, I think one of the things that the New York Jets do for me that nobody understands is those hours. Actually, you just caught something on Daily V, right? Me talking to Jeff. That was the first time I talked business during a Jets game in 15 years. I looked at my phone at the wrong time. It was a very big thing. And I only spent a second on it. Like, I am escaped and relaxed. And by the way, I didn't care about it. Like, that's how excited, like, those three, four hours of escapism. Maybe you need some vacation time. Uh, maybe you need to look at the people around you. Maybe you need to change. Maybe you need to break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Like, there's, like, there's a lot of intense different things that could be happening. Um, or maybe you can take a step back and really listen to this statement, which is, You've lost your hustle because you really are not in tune to why you're doing it, right? You're just not in tune to what you're doing it. That, the, that you're maturing and realizing like, 
a Ferrari or a fat watch or courtside tickets or custom Nikes, I just wanted to show them, you know, is not what you're living for. And so, um, you know, it's funny, tonight I'm going to the Charity Water Gala. I never thought of myself 10 years ago as somebody who would be so involved in nonprofits, sitting on the board of Pencils of Promise, donating. I was, you know, I was old school, I'm 40, I'm older. Like this, this new narrative of much better people, and that's what I think you guys all are. I think you're a much better generation. I, I grew up thinking, I'll get rich, and when I'm old, I'll be like giving out money and doing that stuff. So you just evolve, right? And so maybe, maybe you like me, like I haven't gone completely like, I don't have enough money. Like my kids can give away all the money, but I can't, I don't have that luxury yet. Uh, but Maybe you want to do nonprofit. Maybe you want to build schools for Pencils of Promise and we'll take you in Laos. Like maybe you've lost your purpose. So take a good step back. Shut down. Shut down for 24, 48, 72 hours. Go away. Go go away like this. This is how I want you to shut down. Go to Airbnb. This is a 2016 way to shut down. Go to Airbnb. Find a very remote place. You know, do I have to go? Oh, I'm taping something. Yeah, I'm just wrapping up the show. Sorry. Go Go to Airbnb. Find a very remote place that you can get to at a low cost, like a crappy cabin far away on a four hour drive where you can like just drive because you can or like somebody will drive you there or like hitchhike, I don't give a crap. Lowest cost, furthest away, seclusion and just be with yourself and start talking to yourself for real. For like really talk to yourself for real. One of the great things I do with myself is I talk to myself for real. In a real, like nobody is a harsher critic and a bigger fan of themselves than me. And I think that friction in both directions matters. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. I've, I've never said never, that before. I've never said that before. Yeah, yeah, because because yeah, just hasn't come up. But like like I'm into it. Like I, I want to take a one month vacation. Like I really do. I really really do. I really like. I'm and you know what else is happening? I love this time of year. I love when the rest of the world doesn't work, because then I don't feel guilty that I'm not. And this is a great time of year. You got Thanksgiving for a week. Then you have two weeks that are completely shut down. And very honestly, nobody loves the hustle more than me on earth. I am massively excited for two weeks from now. All that family time, Liz and I are going away for four days, just her and I, because Ann and Peter are watching the kids. This is parents, so that is like, like I'm living for that. You know? Cool, good, good show. You brought out the good stuff. <laughs> uh, question of the day. If, uh, if I told you to go away, for 72 hours and be with yourself, where would you go? Um, yeah, where would you go? And uh, make sure you watch tomorrow's Daily V. I'm excited about this, DRock. I think we're up to something. You keep asking questions, I'll keep answering them. Oh, there is one other thing. I'm gonna be making a wine video, an ad hoc little thing for Instagram or Facebook about this wine I made called The Competitor. Perfect name. It is the 1999 Cabernet of the season. Check it out. I know a lot of you are buying gifts and party stuff. I want to make sure you guys know about this. Put together like a $45 Cabernet for 20 bucks. I'm excited about it. But you'll look at it later. Just wanted made. I know more people will watch this, so we want to make sure they know about it. See you later.